Have you ever seen something in a theater that you just couldn't explain? Or have you ever thought about if dying really ain't that bad? And do you spend sleepless nights wondering exactly what happened to Natalie Wood that night on the boat? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time for you to exit stage death. Exit Stage Death is the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows, releasing bi-weekly on Tuesday starting May 24th. So if you want to find out which Broadway house is the most haunted, talk about what killed our favorite Broadway flops, and learn about the murderous path of Mama Rose that took Gypsy Rose Lee to stardom, it's time for Places Actors. Thank, Thank you, you places. places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back, serial killers, to another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Today, it's just you, me, and something I like to talk about a lot. It's my birthday month, so you all have to suffer through this with me. <laughs> On this show, discussing Power Rangers is not an unknown topic. In fact, I have forced you all to endure at least <laughs> three years of this nonsense, but today... I'm talking about a widely unliked and underappreciated chapter in the franchise that I would like us to give another go. Today, I'm talking about a film that set out to be canon and work an original story using a Japanese Sentai season that was parody on the genre itself, Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. Now, this was the second motion picture release from the media monolith that was dominating toy sales and viewer ratings across the world. The Power Rangers' first movie was non-canonical to the television franchise, but used the same characters and actors while introducing a new villain, new zords, and new suits. But with Turbo, but with Turbo, they were setting up the newest season, carrying the cast of Power Rangers Zio over into a new villain and a new power set. And that would be the first time that it would carry a film into the television show after it. Turbo is inspired by the Japanese series Gekusi Sentai Car Ranger. We follow Tommy, Tanya, Rocky, Adam, Kat out of their adventures as the Power Rangers Zeo and into the waiting trap of the galactic pirate Divatox and her dastardly crew in pursuit of an enchanted elf named Laragot who travels to Earth in search of Zordon for help. Now, after a back injury preparing for a charity martial arts show, Rocky is laid up in the hospital and Divatox kidnaps the friends of the Rangers, Kimberly Hart and Jason Scott, along with Laragot's family to pressure them to hand over Laragot. The Zeo powers just won't be enough to protect the Rangers and save the day. So Zordon gives them powerful new turbo powers and Tommy's young cousin, Justin, takes up the mantle as the Blue Ranger since Rocky is in the hospital. There's a demon marriage, possessed rangers, and an explosive ghost pirate ship that sees the Power Rangers victorious once more. Now, the placement of Justin in the movie was a choice in a boardroom that, in theory, made sense. Your key demographic wanted to be Power Rangers, so why not show someone from your key demographic as a Power Ranger? It's the same style of team they had on the Beetleborgs TV show, but widely... He wasn't well-received. The only thing less well-received is the movie itself. Though the actors are applauded for their performances, which I feel in many ways was very kind, since most of the actors had little or no training or experience other than being on the series. But since this was a box office release, it got the barrage of critics' opinions. 
Currently, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 15% based on about 20 critic reviews and a Metacritic rating of 35. Most critics disliked the high camp aspects of this film, which I find frustrating because this is a genre in Japan and in America that are both high camp. The writing and performance styles are heightened. I mean, we're talking giant monsters fighting robots along with good-looking actors in spandex and lycra. Lawrence Van Gelder of the New York Times has mixed feelings on the film, criticizing the storyline and dialogue and praising the visual effects and the production value. Narita Kempley of the Washington Post called it a purgatory of low-budget interplanetary adventure. Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times gave a positive review, saying... The filmmakers have brought much panache and sophistication to the making of this fantasy adventure, extolling the good old-fashioned virtues of spirit and courage embodied by the Power Rangers. And that Turbo was a solid follow-up. Now, I feel like my personal feelings of this are somewhere in between, but I think it's important for everyone to realize that Critics are not any more informed than anyone else just because this is what they do. Remember, some of them have no film background other than just liking film. <laughs> now, Johnny Young Bosch, the actor who plays the iconically adorable Adam Parks, posted in 2013 on Facebook a conversation about this movie that included scrapped details for a lengthy underwater battle using the Zeo powers that culminated in the Rangers running from the water in tattered costumes explaining the need for the new turbo powers. Now, this version of the film also featured David Yost's Billy and the story of how he created the powers, suits, and zords with Zordon and Alpha in case the day came that the Zeo powers were destroyed, depleted, or just not enough. Now, we got the pleasure of talking to Nikia Baris and Catherine Sutherland back in 2020. They talked a lot about this film and how difficult it was to make. It was a non-union set, so they worked long hours and not always in the best conditions, which really wore on the cast and the crew. So much of this show now has to be union, or that's also partly why they moved to Australia. The industry asks for higher standards, and so it needs to be delivered. And much like when Austin St. James, Tui Trang, and Walter Jones asked for raises back in the original season of Power Rangers and were written off the series... The same thing happened to Steve Cardenas with this movie, leading to Rocky's injury and Justin serving as his replacement. Since its release, Blank Anthony Foster, who played Justin, really has received a brunt of fan and critic hate from the film, but has proved to just be a delight and a voice of joy among the Power Rangers fandom who always does conventions and is just a really fun guy. The film was released worldwide March 28th of 1997, just over 25 years ago, and made $9.6 million worldwide during its run. It lives on on home video, most recently released by Shout Factory, and is technically owned again by Disney, even though when they bought Fox Kids before, it was still owned by 20th Century. But Disney now owns 20th Century Fox. But where does this movie go wrong? And why should we give it another chance as part of the Power Rangers legacy? But we'll find out right after this. Hey, Nerf Herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone? There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests, 
to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. Okay, now sometimes I know these movies are going to be a hard sell, so just bear with me. In the movie, we see the Rangers not able to use their Zeo powers to help them defeat Divatox. Stop her from releasing this lava demon god, Malagor, and get Laragot and his family home before reality can come crumbling down. And in this movie, we know at the end of the day that they're going to win. So sometimes I do really find it interesting about the Rangers themselves in this movie. We see them engineering these powers and Zords with Zordon, like super briefly. And as we see them take on Divatox and her Pteranodons, they aren't that powerful, but they're fighting hard, but not doing too great, but we still root for them. It kind of gives a nice perspective on the powers of the Rangers, but it also gives them somewhere to go, knowing that this has to lead into a 24-episode series. So first off, something that I think sticks out to me is the return of Austin St. John and Amy Jo Johnson as Jason and Kimberly, fan favorites from previous seasons. Now, the audience just saw Jason lose his gold Zeo powers in the Zeo finale, but at the time of release, audiences hadn't seen Kimberly since her tearful departure from the series in season three of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Austin's return was stipulated by higher pay and that Jason got to be evil. And while this only happens for a few minutes, the possessed versions of Kimberly and Jason are standout moments. Amy Jo turning to Kat, gut kicking her and saying, sweetie, didn't anyone tell you? Pink is out. My gay heart squeals. Amy particularly gets to soar in these few moments of the movie in a way that they just didn't let her in the rest of the script. Like they just wrote her exactly how she was on the series and not taking into consideration that this character has now lived across the world, competed on an international level in gymnastics, but who needs context, I guess. Power Rangers fans particularly love a callback and a nostalgia moment in cashing in on that with this casting it was just obvious that the team was trying to get fans back because, you know, they were dwindling. And with an age group like this for your demographic, they age out very quickly and you don't necessarily get the new audiences in. Now, with a flimsy plot set up, the creative team didn't give the actors a whole lot to work with. This was brought up repeatedly in the reviews. But something that was also brought up as a negative was the high camp aspects of this film. Now, maybe the critics may think that this doesn't work for this film, but call me biased. But I think the camp is just right in a film like this. And for me, one standout example of this incredible performance is by Hilary Shepard Turner as Diva Talks. She is the definition of someone who understood the assignment. 
she really took a page from the level of camp that had been set by the wonderful actresses that helped assemble Rita Repulsa in the previous seasons, and also Alex Borstein as the voice of Queen Machina in Power Rangers Zeo. Yes, that Alex Borstein is the voice of Queen Machina. From the moment she enters, she sets a level that she can't dip below, and she honestly doesn't. She brings both an actual threat with a villain that you just love to watch. It's even more impressive knowing that she was pregnant while shooting this, and that's also why she would be later returning to Diva Talks in the series, but not start the series as Diva Talks. She's just truly a masterclass in camp performance. And, you know, it's even to me in the same camp as divine Nathan Lane and Robin Williams in The Birdcage or John Leguizamo in Tuang Fu. I know you're probably rolling your eyes, but this woman is giving us Shakespearean clown. She's giving us Shakespearean shrew. And if you know me, you know how big of a compliment that is coming from me. The critics also made a point to commend the cast for their performances across the board. Now, for me, one of these performances that really stood out was Johnny Young Bosch as Adam. He was my childhood crush, so forgive me. He's a massively successful voice actor now, but at the time, he was the lovable frog prince who brought so much heart to the Ranger team. And you cannot tell me that this boy did not have a big old crush on Rocky but maybe that's just the years of Power Rangers fan fiction that I read. Do not come for me. But maybe that's also just me projecting. He brings a subtle nuance and really tries to bring context to the less than thoughtful script they were given. And you can really see this in the scene where he is up on the cliff and has to watch the ghost galleon explode. The moment of weight that he alone survived after he just watched his friends die but then the excitement when he sees their Zords appear in the water. It's just such a lovely moment from him as a performer. Now, the second thing that I think really, really sets this film as something fun and special is that they created all of the footage from scratch to weave their own narrative, like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers did before, but really not rely on that Japanese footage. And I believe, again, tell me if I'm wrong, the only Japanese footage they use is the actual formation of the Turbo Megazord because once it goes like vertical, that is the suit. While it wasn't always as successful uh, as they thought on both the scale of a large film, but also on the scale of how they would continue this as a television format. Now, the dark side of that is that many points it does feel like this movie is caught somewhere between a TV show and not quite living up to the summer blockbusters. Everyone commits in a gorgeous way, even if the words they were saying just are not great. But that's a perfect segue into why this movie is still a standout for me. In Mighty Morphin, the movie, it's such a large scale that they employed a lot of questionable 1995 CGI. But in this movie, they pulled back and they went with what made the, the Sentai genre so wonderful, practical suits and practical effects. With the exception of some magic and teleportation, the basic things, it's all done on screen. The Turbo Zord is a big mech suit and Malagor is a big monster suit that has a 
great animated mechanized head that I think ages incredibly well. He's so much fun to look at. This also goes as deep as Divatox's costume, the Pyranodons, which in the show are these kind of faceless masked croonies as we expect, but in the movie, they're all played by actors and given their faces with face paint and they're grunts who have individual personalities, which makes me even more sad that we don't get to see some of those scenes that were cut with the fight with the Zeo Rangers. Now this leads me, unfortunately, to the most unsuccessful aspect of the film which like Sordon, who feels mostly just used for exposition for plot points they couldn't figure out how to work in otherwise. The biggest problem I have is the alien wizard living MacGuffin Larigot. While his face is at first emotive and impressive, and again, it is mechanical and looks cool, it quickly becomes strange and unnerving as the movie goes, and his cooing and... Lack of an understandable language tends to, I think, cheapen his journey. And I found myself for years not really caring about his struggle as a character, even though he is legit dying most of the movie. I I ultimately wish he was an actor without the puppet head. Like, think Warwick Davis, uh, you know, etc. And, and it would have been, I guess, broadened his ability to use him, having him push his own plot, even if he used a different language or used something like a sign language. I mean, Alpha understood him and they are friends. We don't understand. This was a moment of context where they could have deepened the plot of the morphing grid of Zordon as kind of this galactic being of peace and power. And they just didn't. Now, transitioning a series is important. And we were moving towards the next big step for the Ranger franchise, which was a full cast change. Halfway through Turbo, only Justin would remain. And we get four new Rangers who would follow the franchise into Power Rangers in space, even though Justin wouldn't. Marking themselves as the last team of Rangers to transition into multiple seasons. The popularity was starting to wane. And I applaud them for doing something on this scale. And I would say Power Rangers in Space as a season is their most successful from a narrative standpoint, which they set up at the end of Turbo. But thinking back, this could have been a great moment to create a show from scratch and use elements that they put in the script like the Ghost Galleon and the pirate sea motif, galactic pirates, to just do a very cool American season. But we weren't there yet. So whether you revisit this movie for a little serotonin brought to you by Nostalgia Watches, or you are deciding to revisit Rangers from the beginning, or you just want to tell me how wrong I am on social media, or you just want to see the camp joy that is Hillary as Diva Talks, this movie is deaf worth a revisit. Though I will say this is a film where I would love to see all the stuff that was clearly cut for time. You know, as the credits roll, we see at least two more short scenes filmed, but cut. We don't hear their audio and it's where everyone's loading back up into the Turbo Megazord. And then uh, where we see Larigot and his family in the power chamber with Rocky and Kimberly and Jason all there. So until next time, may the power protect you because it's morphin' time. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. 
You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.